We come today to the dying words of the most significant, significant person who has ever lived. The final words of the Lord Jesus from the cross. At recent communions we've worked through six of Jesus' seven sayings on the cross. And this morning we come to the seventh and final one. As with all the other sayings on the cross, it gives us an insight into what his death there was all about. And it's hugely relevant for us today, both in life and in death. These dying words of the Lord Jesus have become the final words of many of his people down through the years. Martin Luther and John Knox being two of the most well-known examples. But they're not just words for the end of life. They're words that can bring us great comfort and confidence at every stage of life. And we're going to consider these words under three headings this morning. Uh, that we'll spend most of our time on the middle one. And firstly this morning we see uh, that Jesus died with the words of scripture on his lips. Jesus died with the words of scripture on his lips. Jesus' seventh saying on the cross, like his fourth, is a direct quotation from a psalm. That fourth saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a quote from Psalm 22. While in this final saying, he quotes Psalm 31. And with death approaching, there are no more appropriate words to turn to than the words of Scripture. About a hundred years ago, a young man who had been a professor in a university in a far-off country came home to Scotland to die. Two friends had spent the day with him, reading to him extracts from a book about philosophy. In the afternoon, another friend arrived and offered to take him out for a drive. And as soon as they were in the car, the dying man told his friend what the other two had been reading to him all day. He said, they've been reading me this book and I'm awfully tired of it. And then he quoted the words of 1 Timothy 1.15, which I know that some of the boys and girls will know. This is a faithful saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. And then with great eagerness he said to his friend, there is nothing else of any use to me now. At death, there are no more appropriate words than the words of Scripture. Uh, I was in a graveyard this week uh, and I noticed a tombstone with the words Happy Motoring inscribed on it. What absolutely irrelevant and meaningless words in the face of death. Happy Motoring. But when the Lord Jesus dies, he does so with the words of Scripture on his lips. These words, uh, apart from the word Father at the beginning, are taken from Psalm 31, uh, which we looked at together uh, recently uh, one evening in August. Uh, Like all the Psalms, like all the Old Testament, Psalm 31 finds its true fulfillment in Jesus. 
And just as with Jesus' uh, temptation in the desert, he he began his public ministry uh, with the word of God. Here at at the end of his ministry on the cross, uh, when pressure comes into his life, we find him again turning the scripture to words which he clearly knew by heart. And how wonderful it is as Christians that we have something rock solid to turn to at death, uh, for funerals. Statistically, more humanist funerals take place these days in Scotland than Church of Scotland funerals. But if you've ever been to a humanist funeral, you'll know just how empty it is. But as Christians, we can die trusting in the sure promises of God's word. And yet if we are to respond like Jesus did when we're under pressure, if we are to die like he did with scripture as our great comfort, well then surely that same scripture must saturate our lives here and now. 2022 is quickly speeding towards a close. It'll be over before we know it. And and looking back on this past year, what what has your scripture intake been like? Has Bible reading been a, a regular feature of your life or more like an occasional one? Have you taken the opportunities that, that you've had to come and hear parts of, of the Bible preached on? Yeah, such as Psalm 31, the, the, uh, the, the very psalm our Lord quotes here. You, you may not have an opportunity again to hear a sermon on that psalm. And yet our Lord Jesus, as he died, he, he knew that psalm. He, he had made it his own. And particularly what an opportunity that we have today uh, and on every Lord's Day. This afternoon uh, and after church this evening, we'll go home and there will be all sorts of words which could potentially clamour for our attention. Uh, There will be uh, words spoken by unbelievers uh, that we can listen to if we turn on the TV. Uh, th- there will be words written by unbelievers that, that are only a, a tap or two away on our phones. Or, or there will be words that written by believers perhaps but, but, but of no relevance to the things of God. But what an opportunity we, we have every time this first day of the week comes around to fill our minds with the things of God Uh, to fill our minds with with the Bible, uh, which men in previous generations died so that we might have it in English, to read Christian books, uh, to have conversations with God's people, uh, and particularly about things that we've been reading and hearing and thinking about. When it comes for us to die, none of us will regret reading the Bible too much. And when... uh, that time of our death does come, how we will need the comfort and confidence of God's word which we've stored up over the years. Yes, we read the Bible because it's our daily bread and we need it for each particular day. But as we read, we're also a little bit like animals storing up food for winter because winter is coming, times of suffering are coming and particularly the hour of death is coming. 
And when that time comes, only the word of God will be able to bring the comfort and sustaining that we need. Uh, at home, we, we, we've got, a, we've got a, a children's book about, about little animals storing up food for wintertime. And there's one lazy animal, I, I forget what it is, uh, but, but he doesn't store up food for, for wintertime. Uh, in in the, the spring and in the harvest, he just, he just plays. Uh, he, he doesn't store up food. And then when, when winter comes, he, he, he's hungry. He has to rely on scraps from other people. Uh, but let let that not be a picture of us spiritually. That that when it comes to the end of our lives, our 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 spiritual poverty is revealed, and, and we we have uh, we have very little to feed on and bring us comfort. So, firstly, this morning Jesus died with the words of Scripture on his lips, and that's because he lived with the words of Scripture on his heart. But then, secondly, uh, and spending most of our time in this one. Jesus died knowing that his body and soul were about to be separated. Jesus died knowing that his body and soul were about to be separated. Having looked at where these words come from, we now come to consider the words themselves. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Now we could spend time today discussing whether there is a difference between the soul and the spirit. Or if whether spirit is uh, simply another word for soul or a particular part of the soul. But I think that would be to miss the wood for the trees. Because the hugely important thing we're being reminded of here is that there's more to us than our bodies. The true us, the real us. It will survive once our lungs have stopped taking in air and our hearts have stopped pumping blood around our bodies. As Jesus is dying, he commits his soul to God. His body will lie in the grave until the third day, but his soul will go immediately to be with God. As he told the dying thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, we understand those words of the Apostles' Creed which say that, that our Lord descended into hell to refer to what he experienced on the cross, not to where his soul went afterwards. Uh, and as he, 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 he finishes his, his earthly life, he knows that his work is done. He has just cried out, it is finished. Uh, and now, having finished that work, he commits his soul to God. And the two go together. He can commit his soul to God because he knows that his work is finished. The Romans, they crucified thousands of people. Crucifixion in and of itself was not unique. But one of the unique things about Jesus' crucifixion was how soon he died. Crucifixion was purposely designed to be a slow and a painful death. It could take up to four days for someone on a cross to die. But with the Lord Jesus, he died after only six hours. Mark tells us that they crucified him at the third hour. That is, his crucifixion began at 9 a.m., after the sixth hour, that is 12 noon, everything went dark. 
And that darkness remained over the whole land until the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. At the end of that time, Matthew tells us that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Uh, The words that we read here. And it's clear from scripture that those who had watched many crucifixions were surprised that Jesus died so soon. John tells us in his account that the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men either side of Jesus. The Jews had asked Pilate that the bodies be taken away before the Sabbath. Breaking the legs of those who were on a cross meant that they couldn't push themselves up in order to breathe and so they would die faster. But when they got to Jesus they realised that he was already dead and so they didn't break his legs. When Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus so that he could bury it, Mark tells us that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died and he sent a centurion to go and verify whether that was actually the case. Of course, the the relatively short time that Jesus was on the cross, that didn't mean that Jesus suffered any less than others. Uh, Quite the opposite. uh, Because... Everyone else who was ever crucified was just suffering the physical pain, excruciating as that was, whereas Jesus was also bearing the wrath of God in place of his people. But the, the, the relative shortness of Jesus' time on the cross tells us uh, that, that he died because his work was done. Uh, J.P. Struthers uh, had, had a minister friend in Greenock and he put it like this, uh, part of the quotes on your handout. He said, Jesus died earlier than most crucified men because of his own accord he severed the tie between his soul and his body because his work was done and it was no longer necessary for him to live any longer. His work was done and it was no longer necessary for him to live any longer. Most of those who were crucified died in a state of absolute exhaustion, but not Jesus. Their lives slipped away. He gave up his life. They died defeated. He died victorious. They died clinging on to life until they could cling on no longer. He gave up his spirit. His work being done, it was no longer necessary for him to live any longer. Rather than being a tragedy, the cross was exactly why Jesus came into the world in the first place. Jesus came not primarily to be a good teacher, though he was that. He came not primarily to be a good example, though he was that too. Rather, he came to die. Doing the, the, the funeral this week of a man who had served in the armed forces. I, I used the illustration of a soldier who, who throws himself on a grenade in order to absorb the blast in his own body so that his friends might be saved. Jesus was sent by his father on a mission to save those doomed to die. Not merely a physical death but an eternal one. 
And the blast from which Jesus saves us, the blast which he, which he bore in his own body, is the just and holy wrath of God against sin. Either we must bear it ourselves for all eternity, or we put our faith in Jesus, the one who bore his people's sins in his body on the cross, that we might live, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are actually healed. And with that mission completed, the Lord Jesus cries out, it is finished. And then he commits his soul to his father because there was nothing left for him to do. And so for us to try and earn merit before God by good works or religious acts would be an insult to his final sacrifice. And so the death of Jesus was not the tragic end of a failed revolutionary who the world was not yet ready for. Rather it was the completion of the most successful mission in history. And with that mission completed, he commits his soul to God. And you too have a soul as well as a body. In fact, some some have put it like this and have said, you are a soul, you have a body. You are a soul, you have a body. That's that's right enough. Uh, We don't want to undervalue the body. Our bodies are united to Christ as well as our souls. Our, Our bodies will one day be resurrected. Any existence in which we are just souls, uh, as we we will be in heaven temporarily, it's it's less than what God intended for us at creation and so it can only ever be temporary one day our bodies and souls will be reunited but the big point is that when our bodies die our souls will not boys and girls do you understand that One day your body will die. Your body will stop breathing. But your soul, the real you, the bit that's inside you, it will keep on living. And so the big question for all of us is where will our souls go when our bodies breathe for the last time? Because Jesus' words here tell us that when the time comes for us to die... We have something we can commit to God for safekeeping. Our earthly possessions, we can only commit them to those who come after us. We can either specify who we want them to go to, or we can just leave it to whoever's left behind to sort out. But each of us will die with something infinitely valuable, and that is our soul. And we can commit it to God. If you want to know how infinitely valuable your soul is, just think of Jesus' words when he said, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Whatever stuff we gather up throughout life, at our dying hour, however much or however little we had, won't really matter. But what will matter is what we did with our souls. Death is not the end. And so for us to commit our souls into God's hands is to commit them to his safekeeping 
when the time comes for them to be separated from our bodies. Our bodies are like a jewellery box. Inside is the jewel. And committing our souls to God means that as the jewellery box rots, the jewel inside will be kept safe to one day be placed inside a resurrected body. I was at a, a wedding a, a couple of weeks ago. But think, imagine just before the service starts, the best man suddenly says, I've lost the ring box and there's panic. But they say, well, do you have the ring? And he says, yes, I have the ring, but I've lost the box. And if he, ha- if he has the ring, what happens to the box? It doesn't really matter. And our bodies, they're like the box, but our souls are like the ring. And uh, uh, notice how personal these words are. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's not something that anyone else can do for you. As a minister, it is beyond my power to commit anyone's soul to God. I've written in the free press about how how helpful I, I thought that the Queen's funeral service was. But, but there was a second service broadcast that day which wasn't quite so helpful. It, it was one broadcast from Windsor Castle in the afternoon. Uh, it was a service of committal. But the whole idea of committing the soul of a dead person to God is something that we simply don't find in Scripture. <coughs> that committal service began with the Dean of Windsor saying, We come together to commit into the hands of God the soul of his servant Queen Elizabeth. But if the Dean of Windsor had known the shorter catechism, he would have known that the souls of believers are at death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. As Jesus had said to the thief on the cross beside him, today you will be with me in paradise, not days or weeks later when someone comes along and commits your soul to God. Later on, the the Dean of Windsor read the words, Go forth upon thy journey, O Christian soul. But again, Queen Elizabeth's soul, wherever it is now, it went there the moment that she died. No one else can commit your soul to God. Only you can do it. And you can only do it in this life. So now is your chance to do it before it's too late. So Jesus died knowing that his body and soul were about to separate. And we need to die knowing that but not only knowing it but having done what he did and that is having committed our souls to God but then thirdly and finally this morning Jesus dying words give us confidence to commit our souls to God Jesus dying words give us confidence to commit our souls to God This final saying of our Lord Jesus from the cross is a prayer. A prayer to his Father in heaven. As were were some of the other seven sayings but not all of them. We are to pray on all occasions. But there are times in life when prayer is particularly appropriate. 
when prayer is the only thing in fact that is appropriate in trouble for example even many unbelievers will pray if they think their life is in immediate danger or before falling asleep at night I trust you don't fall asleep at night without prayer. In days past, even unbelievers would have said their prayers before going to sleep at night. And if it is not instinctive for us to say even a few words in prayer to God as one of our last actions of the day, then it doesn't say much about our spiritual state. To apply this more directly to to the occasion before us today, in one of the books I read in preparation this week, the author said, at the communion table, when the bread and wine are circulating in silence, every thoughtful person is inevitably occupied with prayer. So Jesus doesn't just die quoting the words of Scripture, but he dies having made them his own prayer to his Father. But why pray at a volume that everyone can hear? Why pray in a loud voice, as Luke tells us here in verse 46? Jesus could have prayed this prayer quietly or even silently, but he prays it at a volume that others can hear. Why? Well, surely it's because he wants us to be able to have the same confidence when we die that he did when he died. That we would be encouraged to trust our souls to God, knowing that he will keep them safe. So that when we feel the house that our soul has lived in, so to speak, dropping into ruins, we can look for a new home for our soul with God. So many people, when they're dying, are are only concerned about their bodies. Either about the physical pain or or limitations that that they're experiencing, or, or about the plans for what will happen to their bodies when they die. And those are not small things, they're not, import, they're not unimportant things. But Jesus, as he's dying, teaches that our great concern must be for our souls. And I want to leave you today with some encouragements why you can entrust your soul to God. We might die with precious possessions that we will entrust to someone else. But we can't sh- know for sure whether, whether that other person w- will either want that possession or do a good job of looking after it. But how different with God. And we can entrust our souls to him, firstly, because he created them. But also for the believer that he has paid a great price to redeem them. Peter tells us that we were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And if he has bought our souls at such a price, is he going to let them go? Is he going to forget about them? Do we not pay much more attention to things based on how much we paid for them? The price that he has paid for our souls means that we can entrust them 
to his safekeeping. Remember also that the Holy Spirit has been at work in our lives, throughout our lives, uh, as a Carl well puts it, to fit us for heaven, to live with him there. Uh, our whole Christian lives, the Holy Spirit has been at work, work in our lives to, to fit us for heaven. Second Corinthians 5, 5 tells us that this is the very thing that God has prepared us for. As Paul puts it elsewhere in Colossians, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And if he has qualified our souls for heaven, if he has prepared our souls for heaven, will he not take them there when we die? Think of a farmer rearing animals or a gardener tending to plants in order to show them off at the Strenar show in July. Day in, day out, feeding those animals watching over those plants and, and making sure that they have exactly what they need not too much not too little when the day of the show comes round are they going to forget to bring those animals or, or plants that they've been working so hard on during the past year no you can be confident that they'll bring them and in a far greater way, we can be confident that because of what God has invested in us, the blood of his only son, and because of the work that his spirit has been doing in us, then he will bring our souls safely to heaven. He's not going to do all this work in your lives, brothers and sisters, in the, the, the hard times as well as the good times. He's not going to do all this work in your soul and then not bring your soul to heaven in the end. I think also of God's promises. The moment that someone becomes a believer, they have his promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. And will he leave our souls at the very moment that they have more need of them, more need of him than ever? I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. At the moment of death is the very moment we need that most to be true. And he, he, he won't fail in his promise. We have the promise of the Lord Jesus, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He has promised that he will come and take us to himself and he will keep that promise. And so we can commit our souls to God in the sure confidence that he will do what he has promised. We can also confidently commit our souls to God because as Christians we have a new relationship with him. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants but I have called you friends. And if we commit something to someone in our, our, our will, if, if we commit something to a friend in our will with very specific instructions for what we want done with it, what sort of friend wouldn't do it? What sort of friend would turn around and say, well, yes, they, they've, they've asked me to do this, but, but, but I can't be bothered, I'll just throw it out. But Jesus calls us friends. And if we entrust our souls to him, he will do with them what we ask. Our new relationship with, with God, as well as being that of, of friends, is also that of members of his family. 
The fact that Jesus adds the word Father to the quote from Psalm 31 reminds us that we have been adopted into God's family. And what father can shut the door on his little child who comes to him in distress? Particularly when our children are sick at the times they need us most. Who is going to say, no, you just stay by yourself. You deal with this yourself. You're, you're three years old now. You're, you're old enough to deal with it yourself. In our moment of great need, our Father is not going to leave us to ourselves. And so for all these reasons and more, you can entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Jesus' dying words on the cross, they give us confidence to commit our souls to God. On the cross, Jesus committed the mission that he had been sent to do at such cost to himself in order that we could confidently commit our souls to God. And even, in a sense, he's done that already on the cross. Another reason that he spoke out loud is because he is the head and we are the body. What happens to him happens to us. As he commits his spirit into his Father's hands, he also commits the spirit of all those for whom he died. Amen. Well, we'll now turn to sing these very words of the Lord Jesus, turning to the psalm that Jesus turned to with his dying breath, Psalm 31. Psalm 31, and we'll sing the first six verses on page 55. Singing in verse 1 to the God that we can take refuge in. Praying that according to the righteousness of Christ he would deliver us. Uh, And singing in verse 5 that we can confidently commit our spirits into his hand. Because in Christ he has redeemed us. So Psalm 31, 1-6 will stand and sing praise.